am the one who knocks. Pop, pop. Oh, no. <laughs> Why don't you do something with your life? You contribute nothing to society. Good morning, Vietnam! Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? You know my code. Hoes before bros. You can't handle the truth. Buzz your girlfriend. Woof. Nobody calls me mad dog. Especially not some dooted up egg sucking gutter trash. Hello and welcome to My First Time, the podcast all about the gaps in our pop culture resume. Each episode, as our panel sits down to debate, dispute and discuss a much-loved classic... I'm laughing because of our content this week. They'll be joined by the first-timer, someone who's never before experienced that cultural icon. Will they see what the fuss is or be left wondering what the hell was that? My name is Dan and I'm joined each and every week by Eden. Hello. And Aiden. More on that later. And this week we are flipping our caps and our middle fingers as we soak in the angst of Limp Biscuit with Bad Dreams' Alex Cameron. Welcome, Alex, to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Right, just before, Alex, we uh, get some uh, of your thoughts on Limp Biscuit. let's talk about the reason why there was a resounding silence after the name Aiden. Uh, we were meeting to record tonight and I got a phone call about 30 minutes ago from Aiden saying his house had been robbed. So we're not in our usual studio confines. We're in, uh, we're in Eden's house. That's right. <laughs> gathered around the coffee table. Uh, so if the sound quality is a little bit lower than normal, please, uh, we hope you bear with us. And why wouldn't you when you have uh, Alex from Bad Dreams talking about Limp Biscuit? Uh, what's your... Why Limp Biscuit, and uh, why had you not experienced these fellows? Well, I think everyone, obviously, if you grew up in the, if you were coming of age in the late 90s, early 2000s, you've heard of Limp Biscuit. but I can pretty much categorically say they almost were the reason why I never got into being in bands. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was a really... I've, I've sort of said this in other interviews about, you know, you do interviews and people ask about starting um, how you got into music and stuff. And the late 90s was a really bad time. Like <laughs> you had in general? For, for, for music, I yeah. feel. Like you had the new metal thing. So like Corn, mm-hmm. Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park. And then the only other stuff really apart from that was like kind of stuff like Travis and Star Sailor. And, <laughs> um, and then in Australia you had like, like sort of Grinspoon, the Living End, Silverchair. After that, after Daniel Johns had decided that he was like some sort of modern day Brian Wilson, and was putting strings with like horrible <laughs> grunge guitar, and like all of that, I really didn't connect with as a as a teenager. Do you still not connect with uh, that sort of Australian gear, like uh, Living End, and that sort of gear? No, nah, I don't like it. Struggle. No. So what? What's uh, to, let's let's try and understand you a little bit as a music listener uh, before uh, we go on any further. In fact, let's understand you as a pop culture experiencer. So our regular listeners sort of know what we're into. I've got a ten question yes no quiz for you. Okay, yeah. uh, and this will just give the this just helps the uh, listener to know whether or not you are someone whose opinion they should trust. So, no explanations, just simple yes-nos to these ones for me. Kanye? Yeah. Agatha Christie? Yes. Monopoly? 
Yes. Ukuleles. No. Strong no. <laughs> Burjo's catchphrase. No. Bumper stickers. No. Will Ferrell. Yes. Talkback radio. I really need to say the word Bob Francis. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no. Superman. No. Wonderwall. Yes. All right. There we yeah, go. Very nice. Very good. good. You passed. <laughs> passed. <laughs> I was very happy at the yes at Agatha Christie, but then very upset with the no at Burjo's catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a no of disdain for Burjo's catchphrase, or was that a no of what you're talking about? I was actually sc- Wheel of Fortune scarred oh. me because I every when I was a kid, I just used to get sent to my grandparents every holidays, and the TV would sort of be turned on around that five o'clock time, and you know the, I, I, there must have been other stuff on the other channels that I wanted to watch, like Definitely, maybe Neighbours yeah, or something, and yeah. my grandparents would be watching Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Like having a crusket and tea and stuff. <laughs> Actually, they're probably having dinner of knowing the grand. It was like five o'clock, so. Crusket is a, an offensive snack as well. Just associating something mm. with crusket for me is off putting. So dry. Crusket, <laughs> crusket, Nutella, and um, coon cheese. All together? Craft. Not, not, not Nutella, sorry, Nutalex. You know that Oh, yeah, 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 the fake butter. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. what my grandma used to. Yeah. <laughs> So musically, what were you into then? Uh, what was your? Well, I think that's it. Sort of delayed my. I, I remember my friends definitely being into corn and limp biscuit a little bit, but I remember the corn thing, and I just couldn't. Under, to this day, I still can't understand where that whole sort of late nineties aesthetic came from. Like, it's just I just find it a bit. And I'm not, I know this sounds a bit. Um, I don't want to sound too sort of um, judgmental, but it's just repulsive. <laughs> like the, the whole, the, especially the corn thing. It's a strong word. Yeah. And I was hoping, because you yeah, I, I, you gave me the list of albums um, and bands to uh, choose from. And I, like I, it was difficult because I pretty much listened to all of them. And Limp Bizkit <laughs> was the only one. And I, have, I did want to go back and revisit this music because... See if I, you can now see the charm of it. Yeah, and I'd yeah. like to think that as, you know, when you've been obsessed by music and for a long time, you can kind of, I hope, well, I think that you become more objective about it. Like, you know, you go through um, periods of being, oh, the, whatever's the current thing is, like, amazing, or you get obsessed with um, one artist or one genre. But I, I like to think now after being around, going around the um, track a few times that I can try, kind of, think about things a little bit objectively and I think being obsessed with one genre and because for most of us Limp Biscuit, that late 90s we're sort of teenagers yeah being obsessed with one genre is a real teenage music fan thing yeah, right yeah. yeah that's that's your thing you have total blinkers on anything else is crap you've got <laughs> yeah. no time for it and it, your friends yeah. have to all be into the same music <laughs> yeah and in fact it's something you miss like you can only be like that once really <laughs> and get um, away with it as a... well it's just it, when when music had that much when you were that um, passionate about um, about the sort of one one style of music or one band. So yeah, I, I did look forward to going back to or listening to this album and this the, this band and seeing seeing what trying to be objective about it because I mean it's an interesting. I mean it was the fastest selling 
rock album of what? all time. Really? Yeah. In its first of all, week. Of all time? Yeah. Its, yeah. Oh my God. Exploded. <laughs> That's insane. So we are talking about the album is uh, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. Uh, but before we go on anymore and get to the reasons why you are rubbing your hands in your face, Alex, uh, if you're listening, don't know much about Limp Biscuit or the album, here's a little bring you up to speed. It's fair to say that if you're naming your band after a contest in which schoolboys pleasure themselves onto a cracker, that causing offence is not going to be a worry to you. An offence is what Limp Bizkit have caused a fair bit of over the years. Though tabling those offences would be a mighty task. Is it the high ratio of swear words to regular words? Is it the angry hate-filled lyrics? The blending of rap, hip-hop and metal that irritates purest genre fans? Or is it just singer Fred Durst's damn baseball cap? Limp Bizkit has always been Fred Durst's baby. The Florida native forming the band in 1994 and working his guts out to promote the band and knock down doors both to record companies and other contemporaries such as Korn, Primus... Faith No More, etc. The band's momentum, uh, though, really seemed to surge with the addition of DJ Lethal to the lineup, one half of House of Pain, whose hit Jump Around is well known to early 90s hip hop fans. Uh, Lethal combined with Durst and eccentric lead guitarist Wes Borland, whose uh, theatrics and outlandish costumes became a bit of a hit with fans. And together they really created the band's signature new metal sound, blending rap, hip hop, and heavy rock. It was the band's second album, Significant Other, that really pushed them into the mainstream, thanks in no small part to the album's huge hit, Nookie, the song that is famously pro-sex, anti-cookie. In Australia, the song launched Little Biscuit into the top 10 of the Triple J Hottest 100, coming in at number 8, a pretty worthy achievement, although that was still five places short of the tenants' shit me to tears. Just one year later, the band followed that up with the oddly titled Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water, our focus today. And first week sales records fell in its wake and singles such as Rollin', My Generation and My Way uh, were all over the airways. Uh, the album would be Limp Bizkit's last huge release, but would leave an indelible mark on the early 2000s musical landscape. However, despite global mainstream success, Limp Bizkit still found a way to toss off a few controversies. They became known for the violent energy of their concerts, and numerous tours threatened to kick them off as fans' unruly behaviour started becoming dangerous. Durst's own behaviour was no less problematic, and Faith No More's keyboardist Roddy Bottom had this to say. Durst had a really bad attitude. He was kind of a jerk. I remember he called the audience faggots at one show and they booed him. Not a good scene. <laughs> Since their 2000s heyday, Limp Bizkit have split and reunited and are actually about to tour Australia. So, what does our first timer Alex think? Are Fred Durst and his friends as unappealing as a Sayo cracker left out in the open air? Or is it never too late to pleasure yourself over some Limp Bizkit? <laughs> I tried hard. <laughs> <laughs> really good.
You tried? Yeah. Tried to be open-minded? Do you know, just, I, I only wrote one thing down for this, but the list of their, the names they rejected. That in, in, oh my God, what yeah. are they? Gimp Disco. <laughs> that's not... Split Dick Slit. Oh my oh, God. That's awful. Birch Piglet and Blood Fart. Oh, oh my God. Well, I think they went with the best name, right? Um, <laughs> On their list. The least offensive out of that list. Yeah. Yeah, so I felt like I had to read a bit about the band to contextualise this. And it one part that I found interesting as a as a person in a band was they came from like Jacksonville, Florida, and they did they were quite DIY for a while. And they started off in the yeah, this they were I think they started off playing some they started off playing gigs around there and quickly like gained an audience like of wow. like lots of people and then signed to this massive record that became like a big major label thing but I'm a little bit intrigued as to how much of all their shtick was kind of marketing genius by, right. by Durst like the whole angry at the world shtick or yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and the whole yeah all that I mean it, and even down to the lyrics it's like pretty it's pretty much the lyrical angst and the content and the the stuff is it's kind you kind of when you listen to it now it's kind of aimed at like teens. Yeah, definitely. Like early, like young, or tweens even. Yeah, but to them. put the album into context, he was 29 when it came yeah. out. Uh, and another like, interesting thing I read was that he was signed, when they signed up to Interscope, which um, he was signed as an, and then they, like, he was made an A&R guy. Right. So they obviously like... Was for, for non-musical industry people, what is an A&R guy? What does a, that mean? A&R's artist and repertoire, so pretty much they're the people at record labels who go out and um, decide on which acts to sign and then develop those acts in terms of like how they're marketed, how they, what songs they record and stuff. Do you, does Bad Dreams have an A&R guy? Yeah. Everyone but, has one? Just, yeah, yeah, pretty much every yeah, right. label has a... It's the basically, it's the go-between between the label... I mean, our label's small, so the, the A&R guy is the kind of guy whose label it is, but at bigger labels, the A&R person's the go-between between a... Um, band and the rest of the label, so they'll be the ones that will they'll be the ones that are out there watching bands and trying to sign them. And then if they once they sign a band, they're the ones that like go into the studio with a band and say, you know, you should record this song or that song's not that good or this is the one that you know sounds good and all that sort of stuff. So Fred Durst, I found that a little bit intriguing because that the whole like Limp Biscuit thing, it was a movement. It was it was this like the new metal movement, yeah, and there was. It, it was obviously like really struck a nerve with people because they were like corn lint biscuit, all very angry, puck, angry. Right? Yeah, it was. Ang- I guess the the sort of descriptors that come to mind it's like white, angry, kind of outsiders. What's happening in America at that point? That's is that a, is that George ask, Bush yeah. era? Are people angry wasn't, at his presidency? Two thousand. I don't know. What's, um, it what's was, going it, on in the it world? It was pre-George. It was it was Clinton era, but I think it was. This is by this time, angst had become a commodity. Right. And yeah. and my the way I always look at the nineties was the nineties got guitar music in the nineties got kind of fucked by Nirvana because Nirvana were amazing, but they were so popular. Yeah. That they were had many imitators, and the imitators copied the wrong parts garbage yeah like you know because the the imitators copied the sort of the angst 
and the moodiness and the outsider status, but without, you know, the thing that made Nirvana good was those things because that was like Kurt Cobain, but it was also combined with them, him being like a, you know, akin to the Beatles in terms of songwriting yeah. and also akin to the Beatles or other great bands in terms of the way that he took influences and put them together, which was basically like kind of metal guitars plus the melodicism of something like the Beatles plus 80s underground guitar music and made this really interesting amalgam of things. I mean, look, that was other bands were doing similar, but they were the ones that kind of... And so, but then you get you get your Nickelbacks, your Creed, Live, <laughs> and then you get these bands, which saw that the how much that angsty um, stuff that Nirvana did had connected with the youth. Yeah. And, wore, and so Durst, I don't think, is a guy that... Is a real is much of an outsider. I mean, he you look at the guy and he's he's not he looks like a jock, a jock, a frat boy sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, I think the thing that people hate about Limp Biscuit is that it doesn't seem that genuine. Well, that's sort of what I wrote down for almost every song. <laughs> it's like <laughs> first of all that it's like so angsty, and I just couldn't. I, I, I just kept I, laughing at the it. Album like, yeah, get it over it. out of the gate. There's like a little weird little. Intro. That's, no, that's, one of, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of my two favourite tracks on the album. <laughs> I wrote that, I read <laughs> yeah. that too. I was like, yeah. oh, intro. That's a bit of yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. It almost, the intro sounds kind of, it almost it could be a little like yeah. Daft Punk. Yeah. Like yeah. A, yeah. a poor man's Daft Punk. Yeah. And then you look at the intro, the intro's not bad. You're like, yeah. alright, maybe yeah. this album's better than I've been giving it credit for. My and then the second song called Hot Dog just launches it just seems so fake like yeah. every song i listened to just seemed like it was fake like it always just seemed uh, like angsty falsehoods <laughs> yeah yeah um, and i actually think the 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 hidden um or the un un um celebrated hero of Limp Biscuit is the guitarist, I think. Like, in a lot of the songs listening back, I actually think that the musical ideas are quite good. Well, right. that's going to be my question to you. As someone who uh, plays guitar and plays yeah. it well, like, do you find some of that to redeem the album? Some of the... Yeah, I mean, it's not really... It's kind of like you mentioned in your um, preamble, like, it's kind of taking from that Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine stuff, which has never been, like, my kettle of fish exactly but I still can appreciate it and the the music um, and the kind of grooves they settle into is pretty cool but often then as soon as the durst starts it's just like <laughs> <the dirt. laughs> um, but yeah I quite like the some of the stuff and my favourite um, song on there is is the one where um, it's that Mission Impossible yes. oh yeah yeah. I, yeah I wrote it was like they had just the Mission Impossible theme in it yeah I think it was from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack yeah that's the and yeah the guitar the guitar on that's okay. really the way that he's like arranged it's really cool um, but yeah I mean Durst just it's it's a bit he just doesn't have many strings to his bow with the yeah. with the whole rapping thing yeah oh, the lyrics are pretty bad my favourite my favourite lyric on the album is from the track Living It Up, where he says something along the lines of, I'm an alien from the new millennium. Dum-dee-dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
like just run out of ways to rhyme and just dum did your dum dum. Oh. No, the, the lyrics are horrid. Yeah. Like I like that you called it the Durst. I feel like yeah. that should become Durst should become a noun or a or yeah. maybe a, a verb for just he's describing. Oh, he's, the singer's yeah. dursting us. It's <laughs> <laughs> a total Durst burst. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've actually got a little competition for you two to play oh, tonight. No. I've, uh, I've picked some choice rhymes <laughs> from <laughs> other albums, and I want you just to buzz in if you think you can complete the rhyme, uh, the, the Durst, if you can complete the Durst. <laughs> Alright, so All right. I've, got, uh, I've got seven here, so best oh. out of seven, uh, just jump in if you've got a rhyme. <laughs> Now start it up, let the engine roar, all the people in the mosh pit scream... More! No. Oh, more. Damn. Right, Damn! One point well Alex. Done. One point Alex. You've, you've also got to know when you need to run. You hear that? That's the sound of a... Gun! Shotgun! I'm oh, giving you the yes. point. I'm giving you the point. Alright, here's a tough one. Alright, good. Here's a tough one. <laughs> I've had enough drama. I don't need a chump talking trash in... A llama? No. Okay. But we're on the right rhyme. All right. Uh, Not Alabama? No. <laughs> o- Obama? No. Pajamas. Oh. Right, no points. Oh. That's, no a th- point. that's got three syllables. Uh, drama and pajama is not a great rhyme. No. But I didn't think. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he could go to three syllables. I didn't think the Durst could go that far. <laughs> right. We've got, uh, we got four more Durst to get through. Keep your head bobbing like a novelty. All them turkey MCs wanna... Robin? <laughs> Robin? I'll say the line again. Right, right. You're you trying to rhyme with I'm novelty. Thinking of John Wayne. Oh, I'm novelty. thinking of John Wayne Bobbitt. For yeah, no, you want, yeah, well, you want to rhyme with novelty and the oh, turkey novelty. here is a bit of a giveaway. Gobbly. Keep your head bobbing like a novelty. All them turkey MCs Goblin. wanna... Gob me? Get close, gobble me. <laughs> gobble me? <laughs> Two points no, Alex. Gobble me to gobble me? <laughs> One point Eden. Uh, feeling like a freight train, first one to complain, leaves with a... Pain? pain. Yeah, well, pain. Close. No. Um, migraine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. No. Um, leaves with a blood... Stain. 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 Oh. Alex, just, I think your lead is almost unassailable. Oh, you need it. the next two. Okay, here we go. This one's a short one. I'm focused. I'll pack a chainsaw. I'll skin your... Arsehole. Uh, uh, yeah! What? <laughs> what? Oh, you are, you're a dursting genius. In, in, in my defence, you're saying these rhymes and then shaking your head in shame. You know that, I, there's a clue to that on the current album, because you know that Ben, this is Ben Stiller skit. Did he get that far? No. Oh, uh, oh is that the, at the very end? The al- that's the Ben outro. Stiller. That's Ben Stiller? Yeah. I just turned it off. I couldn't Because he goes, Ben Stiller goes through this thing and he's like, kind of, t- he's take, it's like a skit, but he's, Taking the piss Tom out. Green, actually. No, it's Ben Stiller. Oh, and also, God. apparently, Mark Wahlberg's on the album somewhere. What? <laughs> no one knows where he is. But, yeah, Ben Stiller, and he ma- he's kind of doing this skit where he takes the piss out of Fred Dirty. He goes, like, you guys are so mean, you know, you take an ass, you take a chainsaw to someone's asshole. <laughs> I'm like, oh, where's that come? And obviously, that's from, a, it's referencing oh, wow. that lyric. I couldn't make it all the way through. It just lost me. No, like... 75 minutes long. It's such a long time. Hang on, I've got one more Durst. I'm really hoping I can get one of you to say this Durst. It's a good one. You probably heard it all before, baby, not this. 
Here's the shout out to you ladies with the hot piss. <laughs> you, got, you got the hot bit right. Okay. Aren't we trying to rhyme with raw? No, no, no. You're trying to rhyme with not this. Oh. You've probably heard it all before, oh. lady. Not this. I don't feel I can say it. Here's the shout Dude. out to you ladies with the hot breasts. Yes. You can't get oh, away with that now. That's horrible, yeah. isn't it? That's terrible. Oh, man. You can't even say that on when someone else has said it. No, that's no. shocking, isn't it? Fuck. Oh my god. It's yeah. awful. It's the worst the, the worst lyrics. And the no wonder people no wonder people think Kendrick Lamar's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> he's coming in off a yeah. he's got a short run up <laughs> after <laughs> the Limp Biscuit era. That is crazy. Like yeah. He just seems like such a tryhard, like yeah. the whole way through the album, and it yeah. is a long album. Oh. Like I, as I was listening, the first few songs, I was kind of like, "These aren't good songs," but I, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. But then when I realised how much more album there was, I was just getting angrier and like more fed up with it. I listened all the way through, but I was getting, I was just writing, "I hate this now. I hate it. I hate it. I'm not writing notes anymore because I'm just angry." I think the mood of the music feeds the anger that you're feeling about the music. But like, I found myself finishing listening to the album and not feeling good. Like, nah. feeling a bit grot. Like, yeah. I had but to like, listen to something else to sort of have a music shower. Like, I got a yeah. message. I'll say this. I got one message from Aiden uh, about the album and he said he was shopping and he just felt himself getting real angry. You know, like, <laughs> little old lady walking too slow in front of him and he's just getting this, all this anger inside of him towards his fellow See, that's the, Durst, that's the Durst genius as an A&R guy. You see, he's uh, actually... It's a it's a music that's meant to for for these young people to feed their to, to fuel it fuels their angst, but they also think their angst is like they're expressing their angst. It's a yeah. it's a vicious cycle. It is. Yeah. It, it makes you listen to it. It makes you angry, so and then you feel like you have to listen. Is to it, it really cynical music then? Like, do you think he's calculating in what he's done? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. I think maybe that's not how it started, but cert- like. By this point, three albums in or whatever. They I think are. he re- they realised that they could massively cash in, but because the album before this blew up, I can I can see that they would have started from a place where it could have been like cool. Like it's not the music's that not that far away from you know Rage Against the Machine and stuff that's actually really cool, but then it's just been sheened up and just and then mark just marketed to impressionable young kids. Yeah, and that's. I don't know. It's. A, I don't think we'll see. It's that's the power of like the major label in those days that they could kind of. Sell. I mean, imagine selling corn. Yeah, this, this album and sells like biscuit. Like selling these. It's you look at this. It's like who wants to be associated with this? Yeah, and they made it a massive thing. This album like, sold like ten million copies or something. Just like, I can't yeah. believe phenomenal that. number. I mean, and it re- so... in record pace yeah. in its early days. Because it just seemed like such crap, pretty much from the get-go. Like, it, it, it's a crappy album. This album was still getting Triple J airplay. A couple of the singles, not Roland. I think probably by Roland, <laughs> Triple J's trying to sever ties yeah. <laughs> with Limp Bizkit. Yeah. But this this album, uh, My I, Way, which I was kind of hoping was a Frank Sinatra cover. Me wasn't. <laughs> I couldn't remember the lyrics. But yeah, like a couple of the songs uh, did make it into the Hottest 100 that year. Yeah. 
This was around the era when um, Pretty Fly for a White Guy <laughs> took the count out. That's conveniently sort of like not white. They're not really. They don't really talk that up when they relive the glory. No, years. I think <laughs> even at the time, I, I remember that count. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a bit. Yeah, it was a bit embarrassing. Peak Triple J period, and yeah. everyone was embarrassed by that. And yeah, uh, it didn't. Even, it, it's the only. Isn't it the only number one not to come out on the CD they released afterwards? Like Wind drills, trays, cut your sickles. <laughs> but that song, I'm going to divert now. Yeah. I feel like that song now has kind of ruined the Offspring legacy. It's so it's so what they're known for, at least in Australia. A, the song is a joke, right? Like, I guess it is because that's like I actually thought that this album was a joke. I thought that it was a parody, <laughs> and I wrote it down. And I wrote it down multiple times, sort of going, "Is this actually a joke? Like, are they just taking the piss out of other yeah, bands?" Yeah. yeah. And but then I don't know. It just seemed to kind of keep going, and there was not really a punchline or a good moment where no. it was like, "Oh, here it's clearly." You do get the sense that there's a bit of like when he says that thing about how many times he said the f word. Yeah, like, yeah. He's yeah. Is yeah. he really? Was like, he actually sort of proud of it? I don't know. No, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, like, yeah. I, I thought if if this is a joke, then okay. But I'm not getting it. And then the album goes for 75 minutes, and I'm just kind of like, it's, just, it's not funny anymore. It's so immature. But yeah. the one that really gets to me is there's a song on there called "The One," which is basically Fred Durst trying to find yeah, a woman to marry yeah. or something. Yeah. And it's it's kind of earnest. Like I think the chorus is like. You know, you could be the one. Yeah. But then it gets to the end, and it's just sort of fading out. And it's always, it's like that classic high school boy thing of like, you know, you ask someone out for a date, and then you you just sense it going wrong. And, like, you, and yeah, so you sort of bail on it, like, oh, I was just joking. Because in the very end of the song, he's like, like that's like... um I don't know, maybe, who knows, like, uh, it's like, you just spent the whole song saying you could be the one, and then you're backing out in the outro. Yeah. It's so frustrating, it's a terrible album. After these messages, we'll be right back. Alright, well, so, we get in guests to experience something they've never experienced before. One thing we like to do with our guests is to get you to talk about... Uh, something pop cultural that you absolutely love, like a real go-to for you. What's uh, what's that in your world, Alex? Yeah, I mean, for me, I probably can't go past Bob Dylan. It was he was kind of my entry point into music obsession, and then he's been a, a constant since. And what I like about Bob Dylan is that I think his greatest creation really is even above his music, which I obviously really like, and there's lots of different. Um, phases of his musical career when he's t- done various styles and he's had lots of good albums over decades but I think his greatest creation is the sort of artifice surrounding himself like he's unlike almost every other rock or pop artist he's maintained this he's been able to build up this um, kind of pretense and no one really knows who he is yeah, he's thinking, always yeah. kind of trolling he's like the original troll <laughs> <laughs> even like I just loved recently how he got the Nobel Prize and then for a, for, like, for a few months no one <laughs> they couldn't even track him down to get a <laughs> reply from him he was on a train he hopped a train somewhere and probably, then like. and then <laughs> and then when he did the um, speech for it Quickly, some people like sort of looked at the text and found out he'd just like taken great because sw- he talked about his fave. Obviously, when Nobel Prize for li- Literature, he talked about his uh, books that had had the most influence on him, and he, I think he talked about Moby Dick and a few others. And people, ju- 
put it into Google and found out he just ripped huge portions from one of those study <laughs> those study guides. That's amazing. <laughs> so it was like talking about like the character of um, uh, Captain Ahab, and he like uses this there's these phrases that he uses to describe Ahab, and it's like taken straight off like a year twelve study. He's ripped it off cliff notes. And I'm sure, yeah, and I'm oh, sure like it. he's done like well, that's the thing about him. Like everything he does, even when it's really crap. You can always a Bob Dylan fetishist like me. You can always just say, "Oh no, nah, he's doing that to just to <laughs> troll people." Yeah, and it's so hard to know whether like has he ever read Moby Dick or has is he just too lazy to write yeah. a proper speech? Yeah. You don't know. Like, and and then you know you can go back to like his you know his Christian. He went through this um, one of his most derided periods. He has all these. He's done all these things that are people at the time just lambasted and said it was really crap. And then 20, 30 years later, eventually the Dylan, like the Dylan fetishists like myself have managed to convince everyone Redeem else it. yeah. that, it's, that it was actually amazing. So <laughs> probably the biggest, he, he actually had a small, he had a few songs he put out were actually wrapped in the eighties. And that was, Ooh, I mean, that wow. still, he wrapped them. Yeah. He's, Ooh. he's, um, yeah, he's, he appeared on a he appeared on a, in a guest verse in this like eighty Curtis Blow I think it was feet <laughs> feet Bob Dylan Bob Dylan laid down oh some my, flow oh my god which was not great. I'm indulging high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia keeping constant research of our reports in news media kids starve in Ethiopia and we are getting greedier the rich are getting richer and the needy's getting needier but he went before that he went through this. Christian's revival um, period where he had a three three or so albums of very strong sort of gospel um, gospel influenced music and during this time he like at his shows he like stood up and did these big rants about you know like slagging off other bands like I think there's this famous one recorded where he's just like slagging off Kiss for their <laughs> immo- like immoral behaviour and how they're all going to hell and how rock and roll's evil wow and Everyone at the time was just like, "This is pretty weird." Can you go? Can you place like like a Rolling Stone a bit yeah. more stuff? And then, um, yeah, but again, like no one knows whether was he actually really did he really have a Christian sort of revival <laughs> then, or was he just like taking the piss, or had he just taken too many drugs? <laughs> yeah. But he manages because he's so weird and so aloof and um, so enigmatic. He's no one really knows the answers. To Can that, you get so into any of his uh, gospel period music? Well, na- yeah, that they've just done the sort of they do this. Boot the bootleg series, which is where they bring out like alternate versions of stuff or live recordings, because he's got this. In fact, I think there's there's a whole like bunker somewhere in America where they've like c- catalogued all his <laughs> memorabilia and all these old recordings, so they can just the record company can just keep making money off wow. him for like two hundred years. Oh my God. But so every they put out, and it's got to that stage, which is, and everyone's like um, kind of revisited the gospel years and saying, oh no, actually it's really good, and yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. If uh, if someone's listening, never really got into Dylan. What's the what's the song you'd point them to as a, a gateway to Dylan? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would point them to probably Desolation Row, um, mm. which is a song off Bringing It All Back Home. It's a long song, but it's that's kind of the period where probably I I like think that Dylan was at his um, zenith. You know, it's a you know it's got this sort of surrealistic um, poetry um, in terms of the lyrics and um, yeah it's just very very vivid imagery very well delivered awesome but yeah. I mean I I know lots of people just 
don't like Dylan as well, and it's, so I don't I don't need to sell the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's done fine without uh, the promo from our podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> Can we just um, touch on the cover art? No, <laughs> please. What it, the hell is that? Yeah, well, it's like the the choosing the chocolate starfish thing is bad enough, but then to make a literal <laughs> and the hot dog, hot dog made water, and then to make a literal interpretation, it looks like it's been done on a bad like MS Paint. Yeah, program. Well, that's it. Okay, I was I listened to the album on iTunes, and I thought that maybe it was just like poorly put into iTunes. Yeah, it looks straight. It's super yeah, stretched. It What's the deal yeah, with that? Yeah. <laughs> It, like is that is that how it looks on the actual print cover? They were on a, no. like a massive record label. That's and they can't insane. Even, it looks like someone stuffed up. Yeah, the it looked like design. someone did it in like yeah widescreen ratio. No, like like yeah, and they're yeah. just like. <laughs> oh, oh and just God. the it's it's that picture's just sickening in every yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, repulsive, isn't yeah. it? It's got this weird like I don't want to be sensitive, but it's like this weird like this sort of. Bald baby things, but oh, they kind of have like yeah. a, a like a holocausty look about them. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, it's a disgusting cover. So, can you just re- <laughs> help me to reflect? Like, just the sort of aesthetic of this, like you, you've got your sort of that kind of thing, that intentionally ugly stuff. Yeah. I mean, can you remember back to that era? Like, was it cool or like what? <sighs> I it. But that, that kind of, like... I even struggle with that with Nirvana a little bit. Like, right. some of that kind of gross, like, the the gross, dark, really 90s vibe of some of the video clips and that. Yeah. Like, it's just not... You don't look back on it and get... I don't get any aesthetic pleasure from it. No. But it, it, it doesn't seem to mesh with the album either. It's the really color. gross. Yeah. But then the album is sort of radio... It's the album's like, shiny. It's yeah. full of like, fuck, yeah. fuck, fuck, fucks. But the album's yeah. quite shiny production, like yeah. you said. And it's it's radio friendly. Like yeah. it's got, you know, they, it's for all the anger in it, they're trying to still get in the hooks and melodies and stuff. Yeah, because it's, it's all it's all a front. It's all fake, right? It's so all like, fake. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know and what it, the album is about. But you can about. feel that it's fake. Like listening to it, you're yeah. just kind of like, this is just bullshit. I think in defense of Korn, their music it didn't seem as contrived like they did mm. they looked like really yeah. horrible dreadlocks um and then the music was kind of it was a otherworldly type of like grinding um ugly sound yeah but you get the sense though that if you looked into the 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 life of uh, Jonathan Korn, Ta- Jonathan yeah, yeah. Jonathan Taylor and Brian Welsh yeah, those yeah, guys. Yeah. if you looked into their early life you sort of get the sense that they might have had something to be angry about yeah Whereas with Fred Durst, you're just like, I don't know. You no, just sort of, yeah. every song's like, you know, F you, you don't know me. Like, yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, no. yeah, but you're like, but no depth. No, no depth. It's no just, it's just like, oh man, my life sucks. And you don't know how much my life sucks. You <laughs> know, the yeah. other interesting thing that's kind of, you know how the, that Chester, um, Chester Bennington or the guy from Lincoln Park yeah, died recently. Yeah. I found it really interesting that all these in ret- in retrospect all the kind of highbrow music sites are now kind of lionizing Lincoln Park and him because wow. as far as I can remember Lincoln Park were pretty much in the same this rap <laughs> rap rock yeah. um, new metal boat which was panned universally by any sort of critical pe- critical writers at the time but now Lincoln Park 
around the all these sites like Stereo Gum and even like Pitchfork, all the sort of so called music critics, um, kind of are now like Linkin Park's an okay thing. Wow. And it's I the think Bob, it's the, uh, <laughs> the Bob Dylan, <laughs> it's the Bob Dylan effect. Yeah. But that's been an interest. I just, but I don't think Lincoln. I don't think um, the Durst is ever going to ever, ever going to benefit from that kind of critical I appraisal. Not. <laughs> so hypothetically, I don't, I'm not trying to wish anything into existence. Fred Durst dies. You can't imagine like what well, he's not getting the Chester effect, surely. Well, I can tell you what that that if it was gonna if it was gonna happen, it'd be behind did that it'd be. Bo- um, the back of that behind blue eyes cover that he did. Remember that? Oh, it's Fred a, Durst. Yeah, behind it's a cover of a something song. But don't you remember that it was a, quite a big hit for them? Like, you don't know what it's like oh, to be the best. Is that them? Is that Lou Biscuit? Yeah. Oh, yuck! <laughs> Do you feel dirty? Yeah, I know the song. I know the song. Yeah, they did a cover of that. To be the sad man behind uh, blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He could possibly people that could possibly get a bit of sympathy get for redeemed. it. Mm. I don't know, I just, I can't see, I mean, popular in the 90s, teens were their target, but like, even a teen in the 90s going and buying a CD, which is what would have had to have happened, seeing the CD cover, and just like, I don't know, how did it, how was it cool? I think it's a thing of, I'm 15 years old, and I know what my mum is going to think when she sees this album yeah. cover. It's just a like... It's just a, yeah, like, look at what I've got. It's disgusting. And you're disgusted by it, you squares. It's that sort of thing. <laughs> and then me. showing friends and being like, hey, look how cool I am. I'm listening to, like, something, you know, dark. Yeah, in my reading about this album, they were going to call it, like, Chocolate Starfish. And then they're just, apparently just in a servo. And Wes Borland, the, uh, the guitarist, is making himself a hot dog. And he's like, and we should call the album And the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. And that's it. They're like... Bing, 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 bing. Uh, that is, I always thought there was some sexual connotation to the water part, but... That's what I yeah. thought too. That's why I was looking it up. I'm like, man, I don't understand what hot dog flavoured water is. Yeah. Oh, like, is, that, is that the semen or something? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. It is... Act- that's probably the most re- repulsive... Because like, you can easily imagine the hot dog flavoured water. You can imagine <laughs> drinking... Because we've all seen those frankenfurters floating around. God, be bad. Yeah. The other thing, like... That really, the main thing that comes to mind when I think of Limp Biscuit as well is the the Big Day Out tragedy, which obviously happened in Australia. Yeah, so yeah. they were on the Big Day Out tour, um, 2000, 2001 or whatever, and when they came on stage, there was a massive crush and a girl died. Mm. And it was a big, there was a coroner's inquest into it, inquest into it and everything. And um, Limp Biscuit kind of got blamed for not um, trying to quieten the crowd. Um, which I think, from what you read on the internet and stuff, like Fred Durst actually, you know, says he's scarred by it. And yeah, because he'd had they'd had they'd had some something else happen that like the, that Woodstock '99, and they'd kind of been known for like inciting crowds to be a bit unruly. Yeah, and I think part of the like, um, part of what built into them getting blamed was I think it was at the drive-in had played earlier but had actually just stopped playing and left yeah. the stage because they were worried about it. and then Limp Biscuit burst out and just launch into yeah. their like angry music to be honest I do feel a little bit of sympathy for um, for them on that count because like to be honest even not that we're, we've played like shows anywhere near that big but to be honest when crowds are going mental A you don't really know what's going on out there and B it's 
the main people that that are responsible for that are the people that are organising the venue and yeah. making it safe. Mm. So probably a bit harsh on um, old Durst, but he probably deserves he probably <laughs> deserves all that he gets. I guess yeah. he's an easy target at that point, isn't he? Like yeah. He's a polarizing figure. And yeah. Are they still like I don't know anything really about Limp Biscuit now. What What are they? Are they around? Still? Well, they're coming here. And well, I'm like, uh, but like, like, have they been like releasing new albums? Yeah, or? I think so. Sporadically. Okay. Another really cool thing I found on the internet. <laughs> I, Did you say cool or cruel? Cool. <laughs> okay. Right. So um, they they really loved right. They used to cover um, Killing in the Name. Of like Rage Against the Machine, which is an amazing song, and because that was kind of one of their big influences. When they, this really good clip. They Limp Bizkit actually gave me an award at like the MTV Music Awards or something. The Rage Against the Machine bassist <laughs> just walks up on stage and climbs this like twenty foot high kind of. It was part of the stage set. There was this like weird sort of sculpture contraption. He just starts like climbing up it and sits at the top of it. And refuses to move, <laughs> and he's trying to tip it over, <laughs> and then he can't tip it over. Then all these security guard come, security guards come up, awesome. and after like drag him down, he got arrested and jailed for like a night. For him. Oh, that's amazing. He, he says that he was doing as a personal protest against Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> I read a bit. One of the, I, I, I quite enjoy is um, uh, Durst and uh, Christina Aguilera did a song together oh, yeah. at the Grammys. <laughs> And, you know, reporters are asking him afterwards, they're like, oh, friend, you know, like, you know, he's got this whole outsider stick, and they're like, performing at the Grammys with a pop star, and he's like, yeah, did it all for the nookie or something, like, as yeah. the line says, and then they asked her later, and her response was like, he got no nookie, <laughs> and it's <was> like, very <laughs> short, <Yeah>. very like, <laughs> offended. I think we've talked as much as possible about this album. I've got one more thing that yeah. I need to ask Please. you guys, like, to kind of just finally put this to bed. Like, there's got to be a... Who's the Limp Biscuit of today? Whoa. Oh, what a great question. Oh, my God. I feel like you're maybe more... You might be better to answer that. You're in the music scene. Uh, yeah. Like, so, so you mean, like, what is the band? Uh, let's put it in an Australian context. What's getting I, into I the hottest the, 100 today that in 10 years we're just going to be like, I can't believe they ever got in. Like, mm. why were they ever getting well, into play? I, and it's also something that's huge now that you'll look back and think of like how I, I can give one obvious answer. I don't think he's in the Honest 100 of Ed Sheeran. Oh, I think right, he's worse yeah. than Limp Bizkit in my book. Really? Oh. He's an evil, horrible, repulsive. <laughs> really? Villain. He just seems so nothing to me. I never but that's really thought about That's him. what I find most offensive about him. Right. At least Limp Bizkit, like, kind of... <laughs> Is it the opposite end of, like, the, the, spe- the cynical spectrum where he's so nothing deliberately to yes. the... As least offensive yes, as possible, or exactly as Limp Bizkit are trying to be as offensive mm. as possible. So back then, exactly, and it reflects the different um, makeups of what the music scene is. Back then, you know, they commodified angst and they worked out to sell that. Now, it's with the way this is my theory anyway. With the way that streaming services work, they're always just playing. Most of the streams are just playing in the background, like yeah. you know, at my work, there's just someone's. Puts, wants to put some music on that you can't really hear, so they put on indie chill playlist or yep. soft coast, and then Spotify has artists on there. The way their playlists work is if the things that get skipped on there drop off the playlists, and the things that just drift along and not offend anyone. And Ed Sheeran's the king of that. His music for people that don't like music. They need to have something on 
because they want to have music on or something, but they don't actually want to listen to it and they're not interested in really what it is and that's Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And oh. so he's he's yeah, he's worked out how to hit that sweet spot. Okay, so let's get to the scores. When we do a music album, iPhone test becomes skip track test. Is this an album you can just get all the way through without wanting to skip a track or two? Let's start with you, Alex. No. So out of five, uh, zero uh, being this album sucks, I want to skip everything, and five being I can just listen to every song and revel in it. Where does this sit for you? I'll give it a point five. Because there's that Mission Impossible track that actually... I, I remembered actually liking that at the time and I did not mind it this time. But Redeems it. There's, I'm ashamed to say there's probably five or six tracks on there I did listen to. For, oh. more, than, for, more, than, for more than five <laughs> seconds. Ian? I listened to all of them, but if, if it was my yeah. like choice to listen to an album, it would be a zero, I'm afraid. Yeah. I just couldn't... Yeah. I do like the Mission Impossible song, but it's... It, I like the Mission Impossible theme. I could just listen to that. <laughs> Imagine being in a ball pit, but it's filled with those hot dogs. That's what listening to this album <laughs> is like. Like you're trying to wave <laughs> so from one That's side right. to the other. <laughs> it's a slog. The, the term wade as well. Uh, skip track. Yeah, maybe there's... There's one or two tracks that you think, maybe this is a decent track, but something always happens. Like, there's a weird, terribly long <laughs> yeah. outro, or there's some horrible lyrics, so... Hey, wait, did any of you guys hear the, 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 the final insult to injury? They, at the end, it finishes with that skit, and then they loop his annoying laughter for the last, like, three minutes. Oh, I didn't oh, make it no, that far. I didn't get that. Oh, my God. I can't God. believe there are some songs you didn't listen to, but you got through <laughs> the entire... <laughs> well, I wanted to hear Ben. I heard that Ben Stiller was doing it. I was like, okay. what? Yeah. And then I got... I was like, hang on. What's going on? It's like, he just keeps... This laughter keeps going, and it's like, goes for three minutes. Uh, oh, skip track for me. I'm going to give it a 0. 0.52. Uh, yeah. Let's move on. Had, oh, I just want to. Had you heard any Limp Biscuit beforehand? Oh, just the just the big radio yeah. songs like Nookie and Roland and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, pop cultural significance. Uh, do you feel like having listened to this album that you are a uh, a more aware person? Has this broadened your horizons? I think it's a snapshot of a time and place with the late, which was a yeah, a bit of a black hole for. Good, good <laughs> pop culture. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'll give it a yeah, I'll give it a two for that. Yeah. Fair. See, like I, I think it is a sort of snapshot of that era, um, and music for that particular audience. But I still feel like it's fake. Like it, I feel like there were probably other bands around that were doing it. So, like, if you wanted a snapshot of this era, you should probably listen to Corn or yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel even like, Lincoln Park, like, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. would be more listenable as an album. Yeah. So I'm going to go one. I'll be generous and give it a one. I think you're both in the ballpark, so I'm going to split the difference. I'll give it a one and a half for cultural <laughs> significance. Like, sure, if someone talks to me about Limp Biscuit now, I've got something to say about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no one ever does. Uh, returnability, is this an album that's uh, staying in your rotation, Alex? No. Can I just jot you down for a I'll... zero? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there needs, like, I think you mentioned before that you ne I feel like there's some sort of palate cleanse needs to be done. Like, yeah. 
I don't know what it would be, maybe just listening to some Mozart or something. Oh, just yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a zero from me. I usually, if someone recommends an album or something, like, I'll leave it in my on my computer or something, I'll leave it there just for a bit, and maybe I'll go back to it even if I didn't love it. This one I deleted immediately, because I was just like... Nah, I'm, I, don't, I do not need it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm giving it a zero too. In fact, I've been stressed because I, I use my Spotify a lot and I really like their algorithms that oh, yeah, I just replays yeah. and stuff. I'm, so I've been yeah. so worried about what this is going to do yeah. to my algorithms. Yeah. So I'm really <laughs> I'm a bit stressed <laughs> that I'm going to be thrown on my like, <laughs> on my weekly Discover playlist and all of a sudden it's going to oh, drop shit. me a new yeah, Linkist yeah, track or something. Yeah, like Paddle of Mud. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> POD, no! I was brought up in a Christian school. You had to like POD. It was, it was you were forced to. Oh, oh gosh! All right, let's move on. Last category: partner friendliness. Is this a is this an album you can throw on with a with a lover, Alex? Either zero in an intimate setting or just on a road trip. I can't think of any way any. <laughs> I can't think of anything remote, remotely romantic about this. Yeah. Just the thought of throwing yeah. it on in either of those things uh, casually, like, oh, hey, babe. <laughs> like, I can, I can see it as a sound, soundtrack to a bad snuff film. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But not even a classy snuff film. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, zero. <laughs> zero. Right, zero for me. It's gotta be a zero for me. I couldn't even get Ash to listen to it. No. But he just read her some of the lyrics and she her eyes were just going so wide. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh. Alright, uh, it's not gonna take me too long to add up these scores. Uh Limp Biscuit scores. 5.5, making it our <laughs> lowest rated pop cultural entertainment. One and a yes! half. Yes! Yes! One, <laughs> one, <and Finally>. <laughs> one and a half points behind Cruel Intentions and 20 odd points behind Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Thanks for doing the worst thing ever with us, Alex. <laughs> I'm really honored. Thanks, guys. It's about time that we took Limp Biscuit down, I think. Uh, before we wrap up today, uh, what's happening in 2018 for Bad Dreams? Um, we've got two shows coming up. One with um, Cold Chisel at the V8s. Awesome. Um, is that know. is that something? Have you ever? Do you know those guys? Have you performed um, with them before? No, we've never performed with them before, and. Corresponded with Don Walker a little bit over email about songwriting, but not really. Don't know. I've never met him in person, so it's pretty good. I'm pretty going to be pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, then we're doing a festival in well, Sydney, just with like some. It's called the Sydney City Limits Festival. Um, I think that's in February sometime. It's got the some ba- cool bands like it's got the Libertines playing, Phoenix, Justice. Um, some plus some Australian bands, and then a few months off and record a new album. Awesome! Is that coming out mid to late? Uh, hopefully, yeah. We're aiming to have new music out by the end of the year, definitely. Well, hopefully, well before the end of the year. If uh, Limp Biscuit needed an opener on their upcoming Australian tour, and uh, you got a 
you got, let's say you got an email from your A&R, man. Yeah. Is that something Bad Dreams would ever consider? Would you ever open for Lint Biscuit? I think if anyone considered us to be a good match for Lint Biscuit, <laughs> I would burn all my guitars <laughs> and quit music forever. I think that's a great, that's a great spot to wrap this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, join us uh, on our next podcast where we will be going onto the water of Jaws. <gasps> oh, very exciting. We'll catch you then. Bye. See ya. See ya. Thank you. Introducing the chocolate starfish in the hot dog flavored water. Bring it on. Come back again, maybe later. We could do. We yeah, should do, I'd love to. Maybe do something that's not as terrible. <laughs> <laughs>